So have you ever had to use a Band-Aid at any time in your life? Ever had to use a Band-Aid for something? Maybe had a little paper cut, maybe scraped your knee, maybe you burned your finger frying some bacon. I told you it would be there, a little, a little bacon. Well, a Band-Aid's a great thing because so you can take a Band-Aid and you put it over whatever needs to be Band-Aided and it protects that wound from germs and, and other things that can get into it. It helps that wound to heal just a little bit faster. Well, there may be a day coming up soon when before you reach for the Band-Aid, you might be reaching for some fish scales. Yeah, there's a study uh, out this past month that is showing that it's possible that fish scales might be the, the next healing thing that we'll be turning to. According to a study at the Nanyang Technological University in Singapore, it, it seems that it's possible that the collagen from the scales of fish might actually help to, to build up uh, lymphatic vessels and blood vessels around the area that you have been wounded and it might actually help that wound to heal faster. Associate Professor Andrew Tan is one of the scientists on this study. He says this, Applying collagen dressings to a wound to stimulate tissue growth can provide relief for a wide variety of injuries. He goes on, Collagen dressings come in all shapes and sizes, gels, paste, powders, and pads. It can potentially treat wounds of all dimensions. Multi-dimensional uses for the scales of fish. Now, something. Now, I mean, to me, that sounds a little bit fishy. But I'm going to scale back my doubt on this until everything, you know, comes to light. Sorry, I had to do it. Listen, there may be a day that, that we reach for, for fish scales, and, and they may help our wounds heal a little better. But what if our wound is not just a paper cut? What if our wound is not just a scraped knee or a minor burn? What if the kind of wound that we have is, is such that it makes us not want to sleep and not want to eat, makes us not really want to be around other people? What if it's a, a wound that actually creates fear and, and distress and depression and dread in our lives? Well, the kind of wound I'm talking about is, is a broken heart. How is it that a broken heart can be mended? Well, let's see if we can find out this morning. Listen to Isaiah chapter 61, verse 1. The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me. The prophet Isaiah is writing these words down, but technically they're not his words. They're words that are more strategically connected to Jesus, to the Savior, to the Messiah. But the interesting thing is Jesus wasn't born yet. It would be another 700 years before Jesus was born. So how is it that Jesus is able to inspire the prophet Isaiah to write down these words of a future sermon that he would preach? Well, this is what Jesus said in John 14, verse 9. He who has seen me has seen the Father. Imagine that I say to you, if you've seen me, You've seen Brad Pitt. Now, as you fight the, the urge to laugh really loud and hard in my face, you might also be thinking, yeah, more like, you know, porky pig in a pit. I think you're, you're missing the picture here. 
Yes, Jesus is not comparing himself to an actor, though. In fact, he's not even comparing himself. Jesus is saying that he is God. He's promoting himself clearly as God. Trevin Wax is a former missionary and a lot of other things, including the managing editor of the, the Gospel Project Bible study series that we use on Sunday mornings in our Sunday school classes. He wrote this, God is not God apart from Jesus. It is pointless to try to define the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob apart from Jesus Christ. He goes on, as Christians, we believe Jesus is so important that you can't define God's identity apart from him. And then he clarifies it. God is Jesus. When you see Jesus, you are seeing God, not just because Jesus is God, but also because God is Jesus. Jesus is the one who shows us who God is and what God is like. So what does that have to do with Jesus inspiring Isaiah to write about a future sermon? Well, because Jesus is God, he's the only one by his nature that is all-seeing and all-doing and all-powerful and all-present. So therefore, he is the only one who could make sure that one of his sermons is written down 700 years before he was born. And, and why does that matter? Well, it matters because it's important to understand this. Jesus is not just a nice man and a good teacher who lived on the earth one day. He's not. Everything in the Scripture tells us the, the opposite. And Jesus is God. And so since he's God, that means 700 years later, when he did show up after Isaiah, it wasn't just an ordinary life that he lived. And these things are important. It's not just a coincidence that this message came then and 700 years later Jesus came. These are not random things. These point to an understanding that Jesus is greater and higher and beyond anything that we can possibly imagine. So understanding the divine authority of Jesus is important to understanding why this is being written in Isaiah. But it's also important because understanding the divine authority of Jesus also helps you understand what Jesus longs to do for you. What does Jesus long to do for you? Well, we're going to get to that in just a minute. But first, let's just ask this question. Why, why now? Why now? Why at this moment in history did Jesus inspire Isaiah to write? Well, at this time when Isaiah lived, the the world was full of a lot of political turmoil. People never really knew what the leaders of the different nations were going to do at any given moment. Good thing we never have to worry about stuff like that, right? I mean, we can't make any connection with that. And to see this message and the timing of this message, it would have been great for the people. It would have challenged them. It would have given them some comfort about a hope and a, and a future, all in this one message. And so it's not an accidental message when it was placed in history. It wasn't an accidental message when Jesus eventually preached it in the church. And it's not an accidental message for us today. It still provides comfort. It still provides challenge. It still provides hope. So this divine foreshadowing is full of hope. 
And so what did Jesus inspire Isaiah to write down? Well, he inspired him to write down that the Messiah was, was anointed. That Jesus was anointed. The word anointed, it means consecrated, dedicated, or, or set apart. And so what was Jesus set apart to do? Well, in the first part of this future sermon, so to speak, Jesus was set apart to preach the gospel to the poor and to the afflicted. We looked at that last Sunday. If you missed it, you can find it on our website or on our podcast. And, and we're going to look at three more things that Jesus is anointed to do. And the, and the second thing we're going to look at now, and, and this is what Jesus longs to do for you. Listen to the next part of verse 1. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted. Jesus longs to heal and mend and bind up the brokenhearted. The brokenhearted, the, the maimed, the crippled, the wrecked, the crushed. Has your heart ever experienced anything like that? Is your heart experiencing something like that today? Today, is, is your heart aggravated? Is your heart distressed? Does your heart have a, a sense of hopelessness? Is your heart emotionally shattered? Is your heart emotionally exhausted? Or are you just plain tired? And we aren't talking about your physical heart, okay? If something's wrong with your physical heart, you know, go to the heart doctor, right? <laughs> go to the cardiologist. And, and what they'll do is they'll do everything they can to help and fix and mend and heal your, your physical heart. But, but we're talking about your spiritual heart. The spiritual heart is, is the inner person. It's who you are on the inside. The spiritual heart, it involves knowledge and emotions and, and conduct. It's, it's a defining part of who you are. In fact, this is what Proverbs says, Proverbs 4, 23. Keep thy heart with all diligence, for out of it are the issues of life. The issues of life, every issue in your life is coming from your heart. Whatever issue you're having with your spouse right now is connected to your heart. Whatever issue you're having with your kids right now is connected to your heart. Whatever issue you're having with your grandkids right now, connected to your heart. Whatever issue you're having at work, at school, at church, in the world in general, with your health, everything is connected to your heart. Everything flows out of your heart. So your heart is, is kind of a big deal. <laughs> and so even more so, if your heart is broken, that's kind of a big deal. A broken heart is, is a really big deal when everything out of life comes from the heart. Imagine that you're in a restaurant and, and somebody falls out having a heart issue, a heart attack, something, some kind of medical emergency. You know what usually happens at that moment? Everybody in the restaurant gets involved. Some people, they, they come run physically to the aid and, and try to do some type of medical procedure. Some people will call 911. Some people might pray. Some people might just stare in disbelief and with concern and care. But, but everybody, when a medical emergency like that happens in a room that's kind of smaller, everybody's involved in some way. But let's flip that around another way. Imagine that you're in the restaurant and there's somebody in the restaurant that has a broken heart. Not everybody's going to be involved. Why? Well, unless the guy's sitting over there at the table going, I ordered the veal and my heart is broken. I mean, unless he does that, which I don't know, every now and then somebody might do that, I don't know. 
But if no one is, is letting anyone know that their heart is broken, no, nobody has a clue that that person's sitting over there eating their food and their, their heart is broken. They have no idea. No one is going to jump up and be involved with something they don't even know is going on. In fact, sometimes people with a broken heart, they're the ones sitting at the table, you know, laughing like nothing is wrong, but, but feeling emotionally shattered on the inside. Sometimes that person's us, right? I mean, we're the ones sitting there eating salad on the outside, but, but we're eaten up with pain on the inside. Here's the thing that could even be more discouraging. What if people know you have a broken heart? What if you're sitting in the restaurant at the table and these people know about your broken heart? They know about the job you lost. They know about your, your house that was destroyed in the fire. They, they know about your rebellious child. They know about your devastating divorce. They, they know about the person that you love that just died. And they're trying to help. They're trying to encourage you. They're trying to affirm you, but it, it doesn't seem to be getting anywhere. Why? Why? Again, Proverbs gives us some insight. Proverbs 18 Verse 14, the spirit of a man can endure his sickness, but as for a broken spirit, who can bear it? Who can bear a, a broken, distressed, devastated, desperate heart? I mean, how can you mend a broken heart? Charles Spurgeon said this, you can set a limb and the bones will grow. But what can we do in the resetting of a fractured heart? He goes on. A man who has a strong heart can do anything. However weak, feeble, crippled, or diseased he may be in body, yet if he keeps up his spirits, he can laugh at all his pains. And he says this. But if the heart is crushed, what can he do? What can he hope? What can he endure? Far worse than the infirmities of old age are the miseries of a broken heart. What do you do? What do you do with a broken heart? Well, the world has some answers for a broken heart. The world will say, hey, just, just go buy some new shoes. You know? go, go buy some jewelry. Go buy some golf clubs. Go buy a new car. Or maybe, you know, go treat yourself to a weekend makeover at some fancy spa, you know. Or go see a therapist three days a week for the next 20 years. Or go read a book about how to find, find your, your higher inner child. Or maybe go listen to an audio book about how to have your best life now. Or, or maybe just go load up on food and, and alcohol and, and drugs. And here's the thing, all of those things might help. They might. They might help. For a few hours, for a few days, a few years, maybe even for all the years that you will live on this earth. But when it comes to the deepest depths of guilt, of betrayal, of deception, of desertion, of pain, of grief, of helplessness, of hopelessness. Earthly, temporary comforts cannot heal a broken heart. They can't. And the most well-intentioned people in the world, the most faithful Christians in and of themselves, cannot heal a broken heart. 
I can't. So again, we ask, so what do we do? What do we do with a, a broken heart? Well, here's the thing. You can't do anything with a broken heart until you know that you have a broken heart. Now, someone might say, well, that just sounds silly. I know what it means to have a broken heart. I, I feel it. I live it. I can't get away from it. I, I understand when my heart is broken. Maybe in that sense, because that's one kind of broken heart. That's the kind of broken heart that's, that's based on the feelings or the realities that you've been unloved, that you've been ignored, that you've been mistreated, or you've been deserted. But there's no way for that kind of broken heart to be mended unless the other kind of broken heart is mended. So what's the other kind of broken heart? Well, one day Jesus was preaching, and this is what he said, Matthew chapter 5, verse 4. Blessed are those who mourn. Blessed and happy and content are those who mourn. Now, first glance, that sounds a bit crazy, right? So, so I'm really, really, really sad. I'm destroyed over something, and Jesus says that I should be happy, that I should be laughing instead of crying. No, that's not what this is about. Jesus is pointing us in the direction of sin. He's talking about mourning over our sin. If there is not regular grief in our lives, if there is not regular mourning in our lives over our sin, then in a sense, we are calling our Christianity into question. Because one of the basic aspects of what it means to follow after Jesus is that we would grieve over our sin. We would mourn over our sin. We would hate that which is evil. The commercial we get from the culture sounds a little different though, right? The commercial we get from the culture is, look, if you've got some issues, just blame your issues on someone else. And, and if you've got some issues, then just excuse your issues with something else. And if you've got some issues, you know what, just ignore your issues, forget about them, and go do something else. And that kind of advice, that kind of counsel, it, it may get you a long way in this world. But what it's really saying is this, you know what, don't worry about it. You haven't done anything wrong. There's no sin. You're good. I'm okay. You're okay. Don't worry about it. Again, that may get you a long way in this world, but it will not get you anywhere with God because that is not how God looks at anything. So what does it mean to mourn over your sin? What, what does this look like in real life? Well, there's an interesting picture in Luke chapter 18. There's a kind of an upper middle class businessman and he goes to church on Sunday morning. And when he gets to church, the first thing he does, he, he walks over and he stands on the steps of the stage. And he begins to pray out loud. And he says, oh, Lord, I am so glad that I'm not like these other people. I'm so glad that I'm not like the robbers and the adulterers and the sinners. And I'm so glad, Lord. And, and then he stopped for a second because out of the corner of his eye, he, he saw a tax collector kind of kneeling down off from the stage. See, he wasn't really praying. His eyes weren't completely closed. <laughs> he wasn't really praying to God. He, he was praying to be seen. He wanted to see, so he kept his eyes just a little bit, see if anybody was being impressed with his prayers. And so he sees this tax collector down on the side, and, and so he, he keeps praying. And Lord, I'm so glad that I'm not like these tax collectors in town. 
Not like them, Lord. I, I fast twice a week. I give 10% of my income to the church. Now, the tax collector, he's not hearing a word from that religious windbag. Nothing, you know. He's over in his own world. And he, he's kind of hunched over and, and kind of creeped over. And see, tax collectors in the time of Jesus, what you need to understand is they really were terrible criminals. They knew what you owed, but then they would tell you you owed more. And then they'd give what you owed to who it was supposed to, but they'd take the rest and they'd fill their pockets up. They were very greedy, sinful people. But this guy on this day, something's different. First of all, he's at church. And he's off to the side, kind of in his own world. And Luke describes him as kind of crouched over. And he's beating on his chest. And he's saying, Lord, Lord, have mercy on me. Lord, I am a rebellious sinner. I'm full of pride and greed. I'm only looking out for myself. God, please save me and have mercy on me. That's a broken heart. That's a broken heart. And see, here's what happens. When your heart is broken like that over your sin, something amazing takes place. Jesus comes and he binds up your heart. Jesus comes and, and he heals your heart. He wraps his salvation around your heart. And then, when someone comes by later and they break your heart, when something comes by later and it breaks your heart, there is something you can do. You can run to Jesus, and this is what Jesus will do. He'll bind up your heart again. He will wrap up your heart over and over and over again with the great and glorious and beautiful and eternal news of the gospel so that your heart can be healed Again. And why is the gospel so great? What is so great about this bandage of salvation from Jesus? What makes it so wonderful? The psalmist puts it this way, Psalm 63, verse 1 and 3. Oh God, your loving kindness, it's better than life. Better than life. I mean, just think through that. Think, think, of, think of our fear of death. Think of how often we will say things like, well, at least I woke up this morning. That's okay, but if you're a believer and you don't, great! <laughs> to be with Jesus is better than to be here. To be with Jesus is gain. So we really probably should change our, our kind of jokes that we share and, and try to help people see, oh, there is so much hope. And so why would, why would the love of God be, be better than our lives? Let me see if I can try to explain it in, in a little bit of a different way. Yesterday, I, I assume around the world, uh, there were a lot of people that, that dressed up in green and, and uh, were, were gluttons in a lot of things and probably a lot of immorality as well. And all of this was done in, in the name of someone named St. Patrick. Now, what's interesting about that is that those are the kind of things that would be connected to someone who has saint in his name, but also someone who had a broken heart. 
Patrick was kidnapped when he was a teenager from his home in the south of Britain. He was taken and he was sold as a slave in Ireland. While he was a slave in Ireland, God saved him. He came to faith in Christ. He eventually escaped and and he fled. But 25 years later, he went back to Ireland. And you know why? Because his heart was so broken that those people didn't have Jesus. He was so broken over them knowing and finding the Redeemer. So he went back to a still dangerous place because he had such a heart for the gospel and such a broken heart that they would find it. This is what he said. Daily I expect to be murdered or betrayed or reduced to slavery if the occasion arises. But I fear nothing because of the promises of heaven. I was riding around the Five Points area yesterday trying to get to the other side of town. And I had already read this thought from him, and, and I thought, what, what would Patrick do today? He'd be in the middle of Five Points with a broken heart, wanting people to, to find the Savior. See, his heart was, was broken emotionally when he was sold into slavery. And his heart was broken spiritually over his sin. And then after his salvation, his heart was broken spiritually again that these people in Ireland might hear the good news of Jesus. But his broken heart was constantly being mended. God was coming to his heart over and over again, and and the gospel was being wrapped around his heart again, and his his heart was being bandaged up, and, and his wounds were being healed and mended because he knew the promises of heaven were real. He knew the promises of heaven were real. And he understood that to have the love of God would would be better than life. But there has to be something more than just understanding that. There has to. I mean, there can't just be these nice Bible verses, you know, these nice phrases. If our hearts are broken and they're going to be healed, there has to be some power behind these words. It it can't just be a nice understanding. If you do not listen to preaching during the week, I I strongly encourage you. Um, Just whether you're going some websites or podcasts or whatever, just be a good listener to sermons during the week. There are great preachers and great sermons to be heard. And I'm so thankful to Pastor Alistair Begg in my life for earlier this week helping me see what I'm about to share with you as I was driving down the road. I want you to, to walk into a moment of history with me and, j- and just listen to this moment. Matthew 26. Now Peter was sitting outside in the courtyard, and a servant girl came to him and said, You too were with Jesus the Galilean. But he denied it. Before them all, and he said, I do not know what you are talking about. When he had gone out to the gateway, another servant girl saw him and said to those who were there, This man was with Jesus of Nazareth. And again, he denied it with an oath. I do not know the man. 
A little later, the bystanders came up and said to Peter, Surely you too are one of them, for even the way you talk gives you away. Listen to the change of of tone here. Then he began to curse and swear, I do not know the man. And immediately, a rooster crowed. And then verse 75. And Peter remembered the word which Jesus had said, Before a rooster crows, you will deny me three times. And he went out and he wept bitterly. And that's the end of the story. Peter had a, had a broken heart. He was left bitter. He was left broken. He was left bitter and broken over denying Jesus. He was left bitter and broken over abandoning Jesus. And he died that way. He died with a broken heart. No. <laughs> no. He didn't. See, a few hours later, After he wept bitterly, Jesus went and he was violently crucified for Peter's sin and for my sin and for your sin. But Jesus did not stay dead. Jesus rose from the grave. And the risen Jesus appeared to Peter. Peter saw Jesus alive again. And his heart was not left bitter. His heart was not left broken. Jesus mended Peter's heart. Jesus wrapped his love and his mercy and his grace around Peter's heart again and again and again. See, the power behind knowing that the love of God is better than life is all found in the resurrection. See, the resurrection of Jesus is is not a Sunday holiday in the spring. The resurrection of Jesus Christ is the power to come to your broken heart over and over again and to wrap it and to mend it and to heal it and to save it over and over again. How can you mend a broken heart? Come to Jesus. Come to Jesus over and over and over again.